Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger. And the home of Cork's greatest hits. Cork's greatest hits. Cork's, Cork's, Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you. Hoping we're finding you well on this uh, Tuesday morning. John Paul taking calls at 1850-333-103. Texting is also available at 1850 or texting and WhatsApp is at 0862-103-103. We have another round of uh, competition that we're playing this week in association with the Everyman where we've got a pair of tickets, two pairs of tickets actually, to give away to the Nightingale and the Rose, which is uh, stars an incredible cast of Irish and international uh, singers. Uh, taking place in and dancers in the night and game the roles is one of the most highly anticipated shows of the year inspired by an Oscar Wilde uh, short story and it will run in the Everyman from Saturday the 13th to to the following Saturday the 20th of October and today we have a pair of tickets for Sunday the 14th um, or oh, both of our pairs of tickets are for Sunday the 14th along with a complimentary dinner for two at Green's a Restaurant. We will we are playing all this week audio clips of famous people called Rose or in some way have Rose in their title. Today's clip, take a listen. Don't do anything with this yet. Just take a listen to it. Great, now our cold drinks will be sitting directly on the wood. Now, that's a quite a famous rose. We'll play that audio clip again a little bit later on and give you the chance to win that lovely prize from the Everyman, the Nightingale and the Rose, along with dinner for two at Green's Restaurant. If you want a book, you can. Ticket information is available at everymancork.com. Now, a lot to get through on the programme today. We're going to be talking about Cork City and should Cork City have a directly elected mayor. It has been decided that at the local elections next May three parts of the country are going to be asked would you like to have a directly elected mayor so you'll go in to vote and normally as you do in the local elections and you'll get an extra ballot paper asking you yay or nay uh, to do you want a directly elected mayor and one of the areas has been selected uh, it will be Cork City so we're just going to talk around what would a directly elected mayor mean to Cork City what powers uh, would the mayor have and would it be good for for the city and uh, if it was good for the city would it be something that perhaps people in the county would also like to see so how do people feel about directly elected mayors we've seen directly elected mayors 
very successful in other European cities. Most European cities will have directly elected mayors. There's been a talk for quite some time to have a directly elected mayor for Dublin. But I suppose the problem with Dublin Dublin is if they got four local authorities, uh, I know it's going to go to the Citizens' Assembly to see how they can work around getting a directly elected mayor for Dublin. But certainly there has been a call for quite some time for Dublin. But we could be ahead of Dublin yet again. And we could be the first, one of the first to have a directly elected mayor. Your thoughts are welcomed on that. We're going to also ask, should Cork County Council stop hiring private companies to run their parking? When you get a parking ticket, it can be the bane of people's lives. And the town of Mallow, we will regularly get complaints in from people about parking in Mallow. It's eased up a little bit since they've given the first half hour free. I think that's allowed people to just park in town, do their business, back to their car and gone. I suppose we only ever hear complaints is when people pick up a parking uh, ticket. It can be very frustrating uh, for people if they've just run five minutes uh, over and we know there's been a private company running parking in Mallow Town. Same company also runs parking in Douglas and the figures are interesting on the amount of money that this company has been paid for running parking in Mallow and Douglas. It looks on paper like it's quite a lucrative business. We're going to dig into those figures in a little more detail on the programme today and ask should should Cork County Council stop hiring private companies and instead hire their own traffic wardens as they do in other towns across the the county and, and do it quite successfully. Why can't they do it in Mallow? Why can't they do it in Douglas uh, as well? Now, after 11 o'clock uh, today, I'm going to be joined live in studio by well-known author Colm Keane and his wife, Una O'Hagan. And of course, Una O'Hagan is known to known to everyone for as a former newsreader she uh, took early retirement from RTE in February of this year I think it was actually just before we had the big snow which is probably the right time for Una to bail out because she had uh, she lives in County Waterford she had to commute every day uh, to get to work but anyway uh, they have written a book together and it's on the life of St Therese of Lisieux And people in Ireland for many, many years have had great devotion to St. Therese. And only last week when I had John Hooten, the Mallow photographer, in studio talking about his wonderful book, uh, The Way We Were, where he went into boarded up houses and locked up houses and houses where nobody had lived, particularly in very rural areas. And he got permission to go into these houses and photograph the houses. And he has put it all together in this amazing book called The Way We Were. And it's just absolutely stunning book. But the one thing that's striking in the book is the amount of religious photographs and religious statues and religious artefacts, things like rosary beads and holy water fonts in every single house that John Hooten went into. And as I was going through the book, preparing for my interview with John Hooten, and at the same time I was reading the book about um, Therese of Lisieux, it struck me that here was pictures of St. Therese in John Hooten's book, and one in particular that was in my own bedroom. That I grew up under the shadow of St. Therese because in, in the bedroom that I slept in at home, there was a very large black and white picture of uh, the little flower. So it, it doesn't surprise me that a book would come out looking at the Irish connection 
to Saint Therese of uh, Lisieux. And we know when her relics came to Ireland back in the early noughties, was it 2001, there was a huge amount of people uh, turned out uh, to see them. So I don't know if today people still have. I mean, certainly previous generations had a huge devotion to this Carmelite nun who came across as just such a lovely, joyful person. Of course, died so young. She was only 24 when she passed away, but the legacy she left behind was incredible and and her message of the little way uh, really is probably as relevant today as it was before her death in the the late 1800s. So we'll talk with Colm and Una about St. Therese of uh, Lisieux and your thoughts and comments uh, will be welcomed uh, throughout the morning on that. And then after 12, the wonderful Tommy Fleming joins us in studio. There hasn't, he makes a kind of an annual journey where he jumps in the car and he'll contact us to say, do you fancy me coming in for a chat? And we always love having Tommy in because he's got a huge amount of fans in the area and he joins us in advance of his his Voices of Hope 2 tour. He's, he's embarking on quite an extensive uh, tour and Cork fans will be glad to know that there are some Cork dates included. So we'll chat with Tommy uh, later on and then we'll wrap up the programme as we always do on a Tuesday when we'll be joined by uh, Joe Heffernan. So we have a lot to get to on the programme today. Also, I would be interested to hear and just to warn people in advance before you head out uh, to the bank, if you're going out or to pick up your children's allowance, child benefit, which is paid today, first Tuesday of the month, there's a bit of a glitch. Uh, Ulster Bank, permanent TSB and on post has been hit um, by what's been called as an industry-wide payments issue. That's Well, that's according to Ulster Bank. And it seems the payment has failed to show up in many accounts. Now, we've sent an email off to the Department of uh, Social Protection just to see if they can update us on it because they say they are looking into the issue. The banks say they're working hard to fix it and obviously everybody's apologising for any inconvenience caused but, you know, I would be aware of families who who are, rely on the first Tuesday of the month be it to pay bills or be it to put food on tables. We only spoke last week about families who are struggling and families who are on limited income, people who are on low income, people who live on social welfare, who have children, they are the ones who count down the days sometimes to the first Tuesday of the month. For others, they won't even notice that the money hasn't gone into their account and they are the the lucky ones. But for many, many people, the child benefit payment, which is worth €140 per month for every child, uh, people wait for this first Friday, first Tuesday of the month so they can go out uh, to buy whatever bits and pieces that they actually need. So we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, if anybody has already come across or if anybody has already checked with their bank, you might be able to do banking online, you're at home and uh, have discovered, have you been paid? It's, it hasn't affected everyone. From what we're hearing, it's Ulster Bank, Permanent TSB and on post customers who have been uh, hit by this industry-wide payments issue of child benefit for this month. 1850 333103 lines are open. Text or WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. in from a listener say, hi Patricia, could you find out why we have no water and no power in Lismire Village? Well, we have looked into it for you and we got onto the ESB networks and they tell us that they have had nothing reported from the Lismire area. Now they say it could be just a very small area and that nobody's reported it and if nobody reports it to the ESB networks and they can't do anything about it. So the listeners contacted us you need to contact ESB Networks to report where you are um, and what's going on and then they'll look into it for you. But as of now, the ESB Networks say they have no report from the Lismire area. Now, and obviously, if the electricity is out, that could affect the water. If the pump is run on electricity, then that could be the reason why you've got no power and no water as well. We do know that there is a water outage in the Rock Chapel village and surrounding areas today, and that's due to a burst water Main uh, Irish Water Cook County Council are working on that as we speak and they expect to have supply back by 4pm today. On child benefit Noel on our Twitter at C103 Cork makes an interesting point when I was talking about people's child benefit has paid into two banks seem to be affected Ulster Bank and Permanent TSB due to this industry wide payments issue. Noel says clients should opt to have their payments child benefit payment paid through the local post office it would help support local communities and it's at no extra charge to the family it just means you have to go into the post office every month to collect your child uh, benefit well done Noel for picking up on that so uh, quickly thank you for that and just um, this is the the statement that we got from the social welfare department because we contacted them about this issue they, the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection they are aware of the bank payments issue and it's affecting European payments today so it's not just Ireland it's affecting some social welfare payments due to be paid into customers banking accounts this morning the department can confirm that it has processed all of its payments as usual so it's not their fault it's the banking issue officials from the department have been in contact with the main banks and they understand that they're working to resolve the widespread payments issue as quickly as possible and the department will continue to monitor the situation and will update customers they say throughout the day on their website and via social media so hang in there guys and from what we're gathering and from media reports it is just Ulster Bank and Permanent TSB that's been affected all the other banks seem to be okay from what we can uh, gather and one of our listeners Eric says hi I wonder could you put a question onto your listeners please has anybody rented a car um, from Cork Airport from one of the car hire companies at Cork Airport using a debit card as, as I'm assuming rather than a credit card. So has anybody used a debit card to hire a car at Cork Airport? If anybody can let us know, is that possible to do? 1850 And uh, this came in yesterday and unfortunately came in too late on WhatsApp for us to get to it. So we tied it over for, for today. It says, Patricia, good morning. I don't normally complain. And I'm normally a very positive thinking individual. But here is my rant for the day. On Friday evening, I travelled to Ballyvorney to an underage football match, under 12s. 
Okay, this is the important part of this story. Under 12 teams. It was Ballyvorney versus Kilmichael. As a supporter of Kilmichael, I travelled along to see the game. In summary, a good match, played well by both teams, with Ballyvorney winning by one point. I was minding my own business when a woman who appeared to be 50 plus in age yelled at a boy tackling for the ball and started yelling, you cheeky pup. She did it twice more. She repeated the same phrase. I was absolutely shocked. She certainly was no asset to the Ballyvorney supporters. I thought about approaching her, but then declined as I'd be bringing myself down to her level. My point, Patricia, being how can children be expected to behave when adults are certainly poor role models on the playing pitch? I hope the said individual is listening to your programme today. Thank you again for taking time to read my uh, message. Now, I suppose what got to me in it was... It wasn't the worst thing you could shout out at somebody, you cheeky pup. Um, and it could be, you can use your cheeky pup in an affectionate way. Do you know the way you'd affectionately go, you cheeky pup, you'd say to somebody. But obviously the way that this woman was yelling it at the child, the child was tackling a player of the opposite side and she meant it with a bit of venom as if to say, you know, he was tackling too hard or he shouldn't be tackling. Shouldn't be tackling, that would be crazy because that's the nature of of a football match, isn't it, that you tackle the other player. But anyway, uh, we'll call it out to see, well, what gets to me, it's, an, it's under 12s. They're young, they're, chi- you know, they're little fellas. It's, it's encouragement. It should be cheering them on, you know, good lad, well done, good kick, you imagine, should be, should be cheered on by all of the parents and the grannies and the aunts and the uncles and everybody else that turns out to cheer on under 12s. So, glad to call it out because I'm wondering, is that commonplace at an under 12s match that you would have somebody being kind of vicious, a supporter from one side to a player on the other side, bearing in mind, again, that they're under 12s, they're little ones who are trying to encourage to stay in the game and to get better. And, you know, if you've got a little lad or a little girl being shouted at by an adult, you know, it might. I, my fear would be it might turn them off. It, it certainly... thinking back to what I was like as a child if an adult had been roaring at me in a derogatory way it would have sort of stopped me dead in my tracks that I don't think I would have been able to have played to my full potential but you just wonder the effect it would have on the child afterwards when they come off the pitch and they're thinking about what you know an an adult a stranger was actually shouting at them so anyway your thoughts on that if you regularly go along to matches children's matches now under 12s because I, I know at adult matches some awful things are shouted uh, from the sidelines and it seems to be part and parcel of all sports I'm not saying it's right but it seems to go on in, and it's not just in GAA it's in uh, soccer um, is it in rugby as well is it, is it across all when you get two teams together and you get people passionate about their team they can kind of lose the run of themselves almost not that that justifies it 1850 though your thoughts on what people shout from the sideline at under age matches and somebody shouting you cheeky pup and did it twice was that over the top because the listener contacting us was absolutely shocked uh, your thoughts welcomed you can text our whatsapp 086 Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie Now the Minister of State for Local Government John Paul Phelan has decided to ask three council 
areas if they want to directly elect their own mayor. A plebiscite will be held next year in Cork, in Limerick and in Galway where voters will have their say to discuss the implica- discuss the implications for Cork City. I'm joined by Senator Jerry Bottomer and City Councillor uh, Chris uh, O'Leary. Um, good morning to you gentlemen and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now I'll, I'll put this to, 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 both, uh, to both of you. Jerry first, a good move or a bad move to have a directly elected mayor? Well, first of all, I believe it's a very positive move. I've advocated for this for a long time. I think in tandem with that, we need to see central government uh, required to give more power back to local government so there needs to be a balance. Um, but I think as, a, as, as on principle, the decision by government and hopefully uh, the decision by the people next year to, in a plebiscite uh, will be a positive one. I think it's one given that Cork City and Cork County now are on the cusp of a new change of uh, local government structure. I do believe it's it's important that we have a direct elected mayor who will lead uh, the council and, and who will bring democratic transparency and accountability uh, to the role. I do believe that we've been well served, Patricia, by our, our local government managers and chief executives and staff. But I think now it's about having political leadership uh, with direct responsibility in a transparent way to lead and promote Cork uh, in a new environment. Okay, let me bring in uh, Councillor Chris O'Leary. Chris, do you, uh, good morning to you, do you think that this is a good move and it would be uh, a good move for Cork City? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with most of what Jerry has said there with regards to, I suppose, a directly elected um, mayor. Um, I, I think it's long overdue, Patricia. I think we've, for too long at this stage, um, we've had reform after reform proposed. I mean, currently going through the second stage in the Doyle since 2016 is the directly elected mayor's bill for Dublin. Now, problem that we've had is that various ministers have come up and said, um, you know, from Phil Hogan, putting people first, um, right down to um, Minister Dempsey at the time, who had far-reaching proposals before us around the reforming of local government and directly elected mayors. Um, great if they're going to have powers. If they're not going to have any teeth, then I wouldn't bother supporting it at this stage. If we're serious about directly elected mayors from a democratic perspective, we are talking about changing the current structure and I suppose really the length of time a, a mayor would be elected for five to seven minimum. And and that would be keep, keeping with best practice um, uh, from an international Yeah, Yeah, looking at how directly elected mayors are in other European cities. Yeah. Actually, Jerry, on that, I mean, at the moment, uh, we're looking, there's, there's two options. I mean, one is to establish a directly elected mayor with no powers. That, to me, just seems like a waste of time. Uh, absolutely. And and I would never support that because we have a very good uh, role as Lord Mayor in a ceremonial one, as we have now. And Chris was a very good Lord Mayor and we're well served by our Lord Mayors and by our Mayors of the County. But we need to see um, a directly elected mayor with executive power. Uh, and, and in tandem with that, then, we need to see a resourced local government structure with the council itself, the councillors as well being resourced and given enhanced powers. Uh, the, the principle is what we're talking about this morning, Patricia. If we have a Lord Mayor directly elected with no power, then let's not bother wasting time in having a plebiscite or having a discussion. Let's now, as part of the discussion on the plebiscite, try and shape and frame 
the role of the new Lord Mayor in terms of the executive powers, uh, in terms of whether they will have, which I hope they will have a role, for example, in education, in transport, in development of economic policy, in terms of education, healthcare, uh, where decision making decision making is taken at a local level, uh, and where the role of the Lord Mayor with the council uh, is intertwined and, and, and supported, and that they would have an influence uh, on policy and shaping the type of city. Uh, that we want to have and live in in the next uh, 30 to 40 years. Okay, so so Chris, if it was the option number two, which would be a, power, a mayor with executive powers, would that mean that the mayor would take over the role of the chief executive or, or the, the county manager of, of the council, that role? Yeah, I, I, I think it would have to be, um, you know, a hands-on um, situation where, where the directly elected mayor would have to have um, the ability to bring about changes that are radical changes, and and that will go with the powers. I mean, to be fair, um, you know, the manager system, in in in, in theory and sometimes in practice, has served us very well. Um, I, I I'm not being disparaging to managers, but again, central government have held the purse strings for far too long. So we are talking about the devolution of power, really. And and and, and if we're serious about this, and this has been part of the problem why Dublin, um, you know, bought the last time because um, it, it is about um, the cent- centralisation of power from a central government perspective. And Tricia, to be fair, um, I agree with, you know, where, where, we, where we can gain extra powers. And like if, we, if you take it for a moment that we collect property tax, then surely the property tax within, within that um, local government um, perspective should be spent in that area, not collected centrally and then distributed um, by central government. You could also say take car registrations and car VAT. VAT returns going back to central government. Proportionally, that should be coming back to central government. So there's lots of ways to fund this reform of local government, but it does require the will to be fair and to be progressive about it. Um, for the sake of having a directly elected marriage, most of us at this stage would agree it's probably a very democratic thing to do, but without the teeth and without the ability of holding somebody responsible, because it is an opportunity once and for all to hold someone responsible that you can actually fire. Um, and, and that is critical in many respects. All right, it cost, um, Jerry. whenever we mention something like this, we've got people saying, how much is this going to cost the council? Well, that hasn't been determined yet, but can I just go back to one point that, uh, in regard to what Chris has just said, and, and I don't disagree profoundly with what he said, but the, what Chris is proposing at one level will have a gargantuan and profound change, because what we're saying, if you were to follow Chris's argument, which I don't necessarily disagree with, is that the property tax, uh, the VRT, the VAT will be all kept locally predominantly. That would have a profound impact on on, on smaller Areas like, for example, Leitrim or, or Louth or whatever, but they haven't got a huge population. It would also but make Dublin a very wealthy area if they were, if they were allowed to keep all of theirs. It would, it would, and that's why I, I think you know we need to be careful uh, in, in what we're doing. But certainly, a portion of the property tax or a portion of the BRT of the, the VRT should be kept locally. But the, the cost is an issue that we have to work out. And look, I mean, I, I'm a view that the, the, the manager or the chief executive position you know needs to be retained in this in this proposed new format similar to what the secretary general to the a minister of the department would be or what the secretary general to the government would be where they would oversee policy and implementation policy where the mayor would be the political 
leader and the accountability would rest with him or her uh, and and the people can vote the minor out uh, and they're responsible for, for the political decisions being made. Uh, I think it's about time that we faced up for ourselves here as a country. You know, this is about promoting a different type of, of, of leadership. It's about re-enhancing local government and I think Noel Dempsey had many good ideas but he took one thing away and Phil Hogan similarly, we, we, which I didn't agree with, was we took away a power from councils uh, and councillors, which we need to do. I think we need to revisit that and, and have a proper discussion okay. uh, about what uh, um, local government Michael, one of our listeners, uh, says, Patricia, hi, I personally think that every city and county should have their own mayor on a five-year term directly elected by the people. They should have full powers, not half in, half out. Some half-baked jobs is what I fear. The mayor should have control over policing and planning and much more. It will be democracy given back to the uh, people. Uh, so Chris, the only way this will work is it will mean the government handing over real powers to local authorities, won't it? It will, and, and, and it would also mean that some of the quangos we have at the moment that actually have a lot of funds going into it, like the NRA, the NTA, the, the the ITT and all of these quangles that actually now do the roads, transportation, all that, will actually, it'll be divesting some of their powers back into local government, which actually is a good thing, Patricia. And I, I suppose at the end of the day, really here is that the like, government has talked about holding a plebiscite, which is great. But actually, before they hold a plebiscite, describe and detail the powers that now will come back so that if we're voting on something, at least people say, yes, this is a good idea, or no, this is just this is just going through the motions for the sake of it. And in many respects, it, it would serve very well. I don't understand why we haven't had, um, you know, the plebiscite coming up with the presidential election. For mm, we could have had it earlier. We could have we, had it we, earlier. Well, and and Jerry, do you I know... Patricia, we're ready to have it earlier. Because well, we don't have the we, wording. We don't know correct. what the options but, but, but are. But the, and, and I think the point is, as part of the conversation, and, and here's where I think this is critical, is programme like yours, public meetings, engagement, can help shame, shape the framework. Get people talking. Yeah. Yes. And I, do you I, know, I, by the way, Jerry, why has Cork been selected? It's um, Actually, I mentioned Galway. Galway aren't ready for the plebiscite yet. It's Limerick and Waterford, the other two. Uh, how were the areas selected to have the first plebiscites? It's based on population and oh. based on, and, and, and based on, 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 on urban the urban reach of Cork in this case. I, I think the important point though is that the director that the mayor uh, will will be able to bring, you know, people with him or her, or her and, and where they will be able to have, you know, clarity around matters that Chris has spoken about in terms of transport policy, where we can divest more power back to local government uh, and where we can see, um, you know, real change. In the case of Galway, they're having a discussion on the merge of the two councils and that hasn't concluded yet, whereas Cork and Limerick uh, and Waterford have have completed theirs, yes, um, and, they can and do. I think it. Okay. I, I think it would be and, a, an exciting departure. Oh, I, and, and, the, and a great the, Just let me, Chris. Yeah, finally. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, remember, it was part of the local government review as well, and the report that went back to government from from the boundary um, um, extensions and all of that. So, so it is part of what was laid out before us. So, yes. It, it should happen, but again, it's the detail. The devil is in the detail. detail yeah. 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 And one final question to both of you, Jerry. I'll put it to you first. Would you run for mayor of of Cork <laughs> I, City? I think I, I think any person from Cork, Patricia, who has an interest in their city or county, and Chris has had the privilege of being Lord Mayor of Cork, would certainly give a consideration. Um, I, I've always held the view that the best job in politics uh, is being the Lord Mayor of Cork, and I haven't changed that position. 
but this one will be very different. The one we're, where the one we're hoping will be very different. Chris, At would you? Point, it would be more exciting. Chris, yeah. would you run? I I wouldn't say no. I, I think I've got a good insight in the sense of what the current um, position is, but I think there's huge challenges and opportunities there, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't rule it out. No. Okay. All right. All right. We'll talk more about this, uh, gentlemen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, and thank you both for joining us. That is uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer. Good morning to you, and uh, uh, Cork City Councillor Chris O'Leary talking about the possibility of a directly elected mayor for Cork City. Would we get one for the county? Only time will tell. Eighteen fifty. 333103 There's been a couple of people on about fuel allowance, maybe this was sparked by the fact of me talking about a delay in, in payments with child benefit for today uh, somebody said, do you know when the fuel allowance is to be paid out? It is this week, the fuel allowance 22.50 per week um, paid during the fuel season and the fuel season started yesterday, the 1st of October and it runs for 27 weeks so 22.50 as in from this week and of course so wasn't it last year they introduced the lump sum payments uh, where you could get your fuel allowance divided into two lump sum uh, payments the first lump sum of 315 euro will be paid this week with the second lump sum of 292 euro and 50 cent will be paid in the second week in January and the idea behind that for people who opted for that was they were able to buy uh, buy their fuel in bulk maybe buy oil for the tank or maybe you know make strike a deal with a coal man or get timber or turf or, or whatever and of course when you're bulk buying you do get you get a better bang for your buck so if you've opted for the lump sum payment you'll also get the first of the lump sum payments at this week but if you're getting your fuel allowance weekly first week kicks in this week and you'll have it for the next 27 weeks and fingers crossed that we won't get as cold a winter as we had last year 1850 a break and we're back talking about parking Cork today with Breed Haven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. Cork County Council has paid more than €2 million since 2014 to a private company for enforcing parking laws in Mallow and in Douglas. The figures were released to Cork East TD Sean Sherlock under the Freedom of Information and uh, Sean Sherlock joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, No, first, explain the background as to why and when a private firm was given the contract to run parking in Mallow and in Douglas. Uh, my understanding is that APCOA were given the uh, the licence uh, somewhere back around 2011, and then it was renewed in 2014. And I think the justification for bringing in APCOA at the time was uh, that there may have been a, an embargo on recruitment, and uh, there was an internal recruitment process which failed to deliver, you know, in an internal appointment for parking attendance, if you will. And, uh, you know, for transparency, we supported uh, the move at the time. But we have serious questions now over why, when the embargo on recruitment was lifted in, you know, 2013, 2012, 2013, why uh, they went to a private firm. And, you know, there are serious question marks because... it's very difficult to comprehend how a figure of €2 million has effectively left the county of Cork and has gone to a big global uh, conglomerate like APCOA, which operates 
globally when, you know, there is definitely the argument to be made that you could recruit staff internally or advertise externally for staff to be appointed as parking and, we'll say, litter wardens. And Cork County Council are basically saying in their justification that the... um, the, the, the cost of the the person to be appointed is only a small part of the cost of the service provided and therefore their justification for using APCOA is on that basis. It's something that I disagree with fundamentally uh, because I don't believe that, I mean, the figures speak for themselves, 2 million, 1.2 million being extracted from Mallow and, you know, 800,000 being extracted from uh, Douglas where the two services operate under APCOA in the county of Cork. I mean, that they seem to me to be ex- astronomical figures, uh, and we're questioning those figures now, and we're questioning why did the renewal of the contract with APCOA take place, and is there a case now to be made for the, uh, you know, the contract when it comes up for renewal, whenever that is, I don't know when that is, that the council should go back to the traditional old-style traffic wardens, which operate because, quite yeah, well in other towns. Yeah, you see, yeah that, that's the exact point I was going to make. The council enforce, use their own staff to enforce parking. So when they, they say, you know, there would be considerable capital investment in IT and admin resources and all of that uh, and, and legal and warden staff, they do it in other towns. Why can't they do it in Mallow and in Douglas? And, and that's the big question, and I, I don't understand why they don't. Uh, and, and this is why we put in the Freedom of Information request, because, I mean, if, if you look at the figures, I mean, two million paid to APCOA for parking services in Mallow and Douglas for providing traffic wardens, uh, you know, right through to, to court prosecutions. And don't get me started on, on court orders and court prosecutions, because this company, in my honest opinion, you know, has no regard for, you know, the intricacies of business life in these towns. You know, it's a regime that they are enforcing, which is based on a for-profit basis. Uh, I don't know how much of a dividend each of the towns of Douglas and Mallow receives as a result of APCOA being present in those towns. I'm sure those figures are available. But, you know, there's a clear inconsistency inconsistency between Douglas and Mallow versus, if you will, the rest of the towns in the county of Cork. And the the least we can expect is a level playing field. And if you, you know, we all know who the traffic wardens employed by the councils in, in various towns in our constituencies. And, you know, there's a degree of discretion. There's the use of grey matter and common sense and pragmatism. Um, and, and there's a relationship built up between the individual traffic wardens you know, and, and the town's people, and the town still gets revenue. Business is not affected adversely because you're not saying to the people, you know, please don't come to our town because we have a traffic regime or a parking regime that is what I would call draconian. Which we've uh, been hearing from the town of Mallow. Which we've been hearing from the town of Mallow. And and I imagine, I, you know, I haven't spoken to anybody in Douglas about this, but I imagine that the people of Douglas and the businesses in Douglas are feeling the same way. And the chamber in Mallow did some work on this previously as well. And look, what I want to see, and I think what anybody, any reasonable person would want to see, is a is, is consistency right across the county of Cork, so that you're not yielding unto Caesar, to use that expression, monies which are extracted from the people who come in to park in the town, and that money then goes off somewhere else 
We don't know where it goes to. to a private company. Can, can I also say the, the, the figures that you got under Freedom of Information, the number of appeals in Mallow and in Douglas were far higher than Cove, Formoy and Yall and the other towns where there is pay parking enforced by council staff. That would, that would, that tells its own story, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, if you look at Douglas, I mean, say, take a, a sample year. So the number of appeals received uh, for the year in 2017 was 270. And the successful appeals for the year was, uh, uh, you know, uh, 214 and 92 rejected, if you will. Like that's, that's, you know, that's a high rate of, of, of appeal. Of people who got a parking ticket who shouldn't have got a parking ticket. Who shouldn't have got a parking ticket and successfully, um, you know, successfully won their appeal. So that speaks to you about, and I've used the word regime, because that is exactly what's in play here. It's not, you know, I think if you put a plebiscite or a vote to the people of Mallow and Douglas as to whether or not they would want a private company extracting monies for the public purse, or whether or not they'd want, you know, somebody locally hired, you know, who is a public servant extracting monies for the public purse. I think, that, you know, that there would be no competition right, yeah, there. Yeah, I know straight away where they go. All right, OK, uh, we leave it there, uh, Sean. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining thank us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Don't forget, we have a competition association with the everymancork.com this week where we have two prizes to give away today. Pairs of tickets and dinner for two for Sunday, the 14th of October to go along to the Everyman to see the Nightingale and the Rose and also on the night have complimentary dinner for two at Green's uh, Restaurant. And we are playing an audio clip of a famous Rose. Uh, Somewhere in this person's name is Rose and you've got to try and work out uh, who the person is. I'll give you another listen. Now, you don't call uh, yet. We're just at this stage playing the rose for today and it'll be the next hour. We'll give you the details of how you can ring in and win. Who's this rose? Great. Now our cold drinks will be sitting directly on the wood. Quite a famous rose and she came to a public attention this year, I suppose, for all the wrong reasons. Anyway, uh, we'll let you know how you can win our prizes today in the next hour and ticket information for the Nightingale and uh, the rose on everymancork.com. Now, some of your calls and texts coming into the programme this morning. I was talking about St. Therese of Lazoo. We're going to be talking about that in this hour when Colm Keane and Uno Hagen join me live in studio. But that's prompted Katie uh, to contact us because last week week I was talking about John Hooten's uh, book when John Hooten joined us in studio with his new book of photography and how he'd gone into so many old houses. These were locked up houses and the one thing that's striking in the book of photographs is the amount of religious pictures that were just left hanging on the wall. I mean in some cases the last person out of the house simply closed the door but in other cases the houses were emptied but the religious photographs were just left hanging on the wall and they, they, it, it brings you back to a different era but it was quite sad to see these pictures still intact in their frames up on the wall. Well, that's prompted Katie to contact us because she said she's in a bit of a dilemma at the moment. She's actually clearing out her old home place and she has come across a number of religious photographs she said to be honest they're in absolutely every room 
hanging on every wall. There isn't a room in the house that doesn't have a religious uh, photograph. Now, she said, I know hand on heart, they're not something I'm going to put up in my own house, but I really don't want to throw them away either. Does anybody have any ideas as to what Katie can do with old religious photographs in frames, the old style photographs, the ones, as I say, that we were talking about in John Hooten's book? My initial thing would be, uh, Katie, I'm sure a local charity shop, if you've got a Vincent de Paul shop, an Irish Cancer Society shop, any of those shops, I wonder, would they be interested if you called in and asked them? Now, if you have an awful lot of them, you could pass them around a few uh, charity shops. That would be just one suggestion. But we'll give it out to see if listeners have any suggestions for Katie as to what she would do. She doesn't just want to throw them out and she's clearing out the house and her old home place. And uh, she'd like them really to go to a good home. If anybody has any suggestions, please, uh, for uh, Katie. And also just on the topic of religion, I suppose, a texter says, Patricia, today, did you know, is the feast of the gar- our guardian angel. Didn't realise that. What a pity, says this texter, that our schools never mention it to the children today. I say the little prayer to my two grandchildren, as to her parents, every morning and every night. And even though she's only just gone to, she nearly knows it already. I'm sure all the young teachers would have heard it at home. Yeah, that's the, isn't that the way we all learned those prayers, particularly that one, O Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. And it's the repetition uh, of it. I'm really surprised to hear you say that there it's not been taught in schools. I would have thought that that would have been along with the Our Father, the Hail Mary, that they, you know, the, the old, that that would have been one prayer that's still taught in schools. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe this listener is wrong. Does anybody know if you have a child in primary school, are they learning that the old traditional guardian angel prayer is it still taught 1850 parking I knew we weren't going to get away without calls in about parking and people really taken aback listening to Sean Sherlock on the amount of money that APCOA the private company who run pay parking in Mallow and they run pay parking in Douglas the amount of money they've been paid more than two million since 2014. The bulk of it, by the way, the well, the big, the larger chunk of it is coming from Mallow. Uh, 1.2 million was what they got paid for running parking services in Mallow and uh, in Douglas. It was just over 800,000. Um, Mick in Bantier says, uh, Patricia, I was one of those who got a parking ticket and I won my appeal. I should never have received the parking ticket at the time. I just thought it was a mistake that the traffic warden had just done in error. I never knew that the parking ticket was for profit or that there was a private company operating it. Shameful. How many other people got a wrongful parking ticket and never appealed the uh, decision says Mick from Bantier. I was blown away at the number of people who did appeal by the way because they were the other figures that Sean got under Freedom of Information and they had, this was for one uh, year the parking tickets uh, for 2014, the the figures were available. Uh, 2056 tickets were issued in uh, of the 2056 tickets that were issued were appealed in Mallow of which 822 of the appeals were successful but the numbers that appealed in both Mallow and Douglas are far higher than Moy or Yall where the parking is enforced by local council staff which to me tells its own story. Uh, thank you Mick for your text and glad to know that you successfully appealed your ticket and Mary says Patricia every time I visit Mallow I see the 
I see the negative effect of the harsh regime of parking as business after business is closing its doors. The historic town has to be renewed, says uh, Mary. And Mary feels a lot of the problems with Mallow Town is to do with the strict parking regimes. 1850 And just a WhatsApp. This is another interesting WhatsApp. This is picking up on the listener who contacted us who was at an underage football match, under 12s and somebody from the other team roaring at a child and they're under 12s, they are children calling him a cheeky pup because he was going in tackling for the ball and he roared, she roared it, a woman in her 50s roared it at this little fellow twice and our listener uh, was really taken aback and thought it was a really bad role model and she really was shocked in the, the venom in which this woman attacked and verbally attacked this child. That's prompted somebody to say, I was involved in an under 12 football blitz in North Cork uh, recently and I'm not going to say where the blitz went on or I'm not going to, there's a couple of clubs are mentioned because I'm, I, I can't I can't verify that the clubs were actually there and it was somebody from the various club. But anyway, um, a coach and a parent from one club threatened to come onto the field and sort my son out. These are under 12s. There was at least six coaches 15 metres onto the pitch screaming at the referee. By the way, the referee was no more than 16 or 17. At one point, we had to stop the match we informed three officials from the club where the blitz was being hosted that a child had been threatened by an adult, at which point we were told not to say another word or our team would be kicked out of the competition. The same was repeated by all officials at the club present. Parents had underage or animals, according to this texter. I've seen them screaming at children. Under 10 girls football, there's absolutely no control of the parents. Isn't the coaches, it's the parents. Clubs have to be accountable. It's all brushed under the carpet. It does not happen in rugby to the same extent. Some of it does go on, but nothing like what is happening in underage GAA on the side of the pitch. That truth truly is shocking. Truly is shocking. Children are being screamed at. To hear an adult say, I'll come onto the pitch and sort out a little lad under 12. Goodness me. Uh, 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A person is wanted for immediate start at a poultry farm that's near Ross Scarberry. Why Kinsale Cabs, they've got vacancies for drivers. It may suit new licensed holders, car insurance and base available to the suitable candidate. Part-time childminder wanted in Mill Street. Need to be a non-smoker and a car owner, please. And Foley's food store on the Cork Road in Mallow are looking for part-time staff for midweek work. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. Now Colm Keane has published 27 books of which seven made the number one bestseller list and he's just written another book along with his wife, former RT newsreader Una O'Hagan exploring the life of St. Therese of Lisieux called The Little Flower The Irish Connection and I'm delighted to say Colm and Una uh, join me in studio this morning. Good morning to you both. Good morning. And you're very welcome. The last time we spoke was when you published your first book together, Animal Crackers. Yeah. That's two years ago now, isn't it? It is two years. How how did that go for you? It went very well. Um, It it did 
extremely well. There's an awful lot of people, as you know, in Ireland who love their animals and it was full of crazy stories. Um, and we enjoyed the project so much. Um, about six months, a year ago, we decided, we started thinking about, you know, let's do another one. And uh, Therese kind of was the perfect choice for us because she's so interesting. Colm had come across her when he was doing research for uh, a number yeah, of books he did. Yeah, because yeah, I remember interviewing Colm for the Patrick yeah. Peer books and I remember you talking about St. Therese at the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she had a big influence on Padre Pio. Uh, their lives would have crossed a little bit. Uh, when he was 10, she would have died. and uh, But she never met him or anything like that. But uh, he read, uh, when he was a seminarian, he read Story of Her Soul, uh, her autobiography, and he was blown away by it. And I remember when I read about him uh, liking the book, I thought I should read read it too and I read it and I thought it was one of the best books I read in my life I actually got a copy for Una I wouldn't have it my own and then she read it you read it and what did you think I was blown away by it I mean um, her story her her tragic death was at 24 24. but it was her little way her philosophy Um, well just explain that to people Una what is the little way the little way is uh, everybody is everybody's important Everything is significant. Everything you do matters. And Therese wanted, she wanted to be a saint. But amazingly enough, she was, um, she was that kind of person. She was really determined. She wanted to be a saint. But she said, I'm only a little person. I can't do great deeds like the, the big saints can. But I'll do uh, small deeds. I'll do them to the best of my ability. And I will offer them up. Uh, and that was her little way. And she summarised it really by saying that the way to, to heaven or to a good life is not by great deeds, but by great love. And and the whole thing, you know, came from her love of flowers. You've got to remember that she lived in Normandy, where which is covered in flowers. And she used to, as a little kid, look at all the different types of flowers there. The great flowers like the rose, the little flowers like the daisy or the cornflower or the poppies. And she used to say, you know, they're all beautiful. God loves them all. Uh, they're all part of the same thing. You can't have one without the other. And then she said, said, well, they're like people, you know, because you have great people who are like the rose, you know, you have the saints and the bishops and the archbishops, and then you have the daisy people, in other words, the the housewives and the farm labourers, and me, the little flower. And then she said, "And, and your deeds go with who you are. You know, the great saints do great things, self-sacrifice, but the ordinary people, like the little housewife, you know, she cleans up the floor, washes the dishes, looks after the kids. Maybe back then, uh, she'd give birth to 16 children. Ten might die, you know, six might live. And she said, but they're not unimportant. They're just as important as the deeds of the great saints. So that's where uh, Una's spot on. Everything she said matters. Everything is important. Everybody is significant in the eyes of God. How and she said, all she you is. have to do is do it well, How and that's your little is. way. Okay, let's talk a little bit about her life. Una, start for her childhood. I mean, she lost her, her mother at, at a young age, mm-hmm. and even her wet nurse. She, and, and of course, wet nurses were very common in those days, and the mother wasn't very well, so it was a wet nurse she, she went to, who became like a mother, and she lost that woman. So she had a lot of loss. She did, and 
and that's a very significant point to Teresa's life. Uh, her mother died when she was aged four from breast cancer, and that, uh, that, that really changed the course of her life. It devastated her. But even before that, uh, she had, um, as you mentioned, there was a, a wonderful woman called Rose Taye, who was her wet nurse, um, because, uh, b- because her mother, uh, Zeli, had this lump in her breast. She couldn't feed uh, Therese well enough, so she had to send her out to this wet nurse. And, uh, but that only lasted for a year. So Rose was gone. Her mother died aged uh, when she was aged four. Then her sisters, she had four sisters. They were a very close, very loving family. Um, and then her older sister, Pauline, looked after her, took, kind of took the place of, of her mother. mother. But then as she as went an older in, sister would As do. an older sister would. But then she went into the convent and each one seemed to disappear. Um, but Therese, I mean, I don't know how she surrounded it. Uh, she survived it, but she did describe the death of her mother as the end of the happy, the happy days, the days of sunshine. But she, um, she had a great bond with her dog. Oh, uh, she did. Yeah. Oh, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get, there's a... It's a lovely, lovely story. I think it's my favourite in the book. When Therese was aged 11, she asked her father for a hairy animal. And he said, but you've, you've already got rabbits. And she had a whole menagerie. And she said, no, I want, a, I want one that follows me around. Uh, I, I want a dog. Um, so Tom arrived. He was a lovely spaniel. They were inseparable. Until, of course, when the time came when she went into the convent. She went into the enclosed convent, never to come out. But they did meet one more time. It was when her father had died. They were uh, closing down the house and some of the furniture was being brought to the convent. And uh, Tom followed the carts carrying the furniture. And somehow when he got to the cloister, he said he sensed her. Therese was there yeah. and he managed to get his way in. Very, almost impossible to do. And found and her. Found her and her sister Celine described him jumping up and down and licking her face and uh, oh, it makes me emotional. When I, I know, I, 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 I tell so you, I, when, when I read it in the book, mm-hmm. I cried. I thought, yeah. oh my God, what a story. Yeah. It was just she, she had to that, love, that love between an, yeah. a, a, an animal. Now, to get into the convent uh, column, she had to go to great lengths yeah. because she was too young and there was the added problem that her older sisters were in the convent. Yeah, in, there were and, two. And there was a rule saying that you couldn't have had any more than two sisters yeah. together, for obvious reasons. They, they were kind of able to get around that second one. It wasn't the most important one. They thought it'll be okay. Uh, The first one was critical. They said you have to be 21. She was 14 and she wanted to go in when she was 15. And she approached the mother superior and she said you can't, have to be 21. She went to the Bishop of Bayou. He said, sorry, you can't, 21. And she came home and said to her dad, I mean, she was such a determined young girl. And she said to the father, we're going to Rome and I'm asking the Pope. And the father, I, you know, the father As you was, do. Yeah, and the father was kind of bemused, of course, but he knew Therese and he said, OK, we'll go to Rome. And they went as part of a kind of a pilgrimage uh, to Rome. And uh, I'll cut a brief, actually. When she was there, uh, her moment came. It was kind of a semi-public audience. And she went up to the Pope. It was Pope Leo Thirteenth, and an austere enough man. And she knelt down in front of him. And the rule was, you said nothing 
to the Pope. You didn't ask a question, you didn't speak to him. You kissed his feet, you kissed the ring, and you walked on. He blessed you. And she went up, knelt at his feet, grabbed him by the knee, looked up at him and said, Holy Father, I want to go into the Carmel next year when I'm 15. Is that okay with you? And he kicked for touch. You know, he said, well, whatever the superiors decide. And then she again, holding onto the knee, said, very cleverly, but if you say yes, Holy Father, they Might won't be, be able, they won't be able to say no. And uh, again, he came for touch. He said, "If it's God's will." But uh, the papal guard were approaching to remove her, and uh, the Pope stopped them, put his hand on her cheek, blessed her, and uh, people who were watching said afterwards that as she walked away, the Pope looked after her. But it was a big moment because here you had. Christ's representative on earth, the Pope, meeting a future saint. Mm. An extraordinary moment in yeah. a way. And Therese being Therese, whether it was papal intervention or divine intervention, I don't know. The next year, 15 years, three months, she was into the garment. All right, and then she didn't do long. Una in there, because as we've already said, she died when she was 24. But life in the Carmel wasn't the easiest of places. That I was kind of surprised by that. It, it was tough. It was very tough. I mean, it was demanding physically because of all the work. Um, hard work of cleaning, laundry, looking after the convent, keeping it going. And then there was the kind of spiritual work, if you like. And they had to pray and chant and meditate seven hours a day. And they would get up between four and five in the morning, depending on whether it was winter or summer. Um, Therese hated the cold. I really sympathise with her. She she used to get um, chillblains, I think, when she yeah. was in the laundry and washing the clothes in cold water. So, yeah, it was difficult. And she was also bullied, which was yeah, very which tough. And then she became unwell. Yeah. Uh, that was Holy Thursday, 1896. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It was just a year before she died and she was put her head down on the pillow and uh, she felt this warm liquid going into her mouth 
Um, she didn't do anything about it. The following morning, she checked her handkerchief and it was covered in blood and it was a sign that she had pulmonary TB. So for the next year and a half, she struggled through it. She had a very, very tough time. There was a doctor who witnessed her suffering and said he had never seen anybody suffer so much with such grace. Uh, but the end came um, on the 30th of September, sort of two days ago, 121 mm. years ago. And she was in the infirmary, the, her sister and the other nuns were around her. And she asked her sister, Pauline, am I good enough to go to heaven? Uh, which is an extraordinary question from somebody like her. And Pauline said, yes, you are. And she asked, am I dying? And Pauline said, yes. And then shortly before seven o'clock, she looked, she raised herself up from the bed, looked up uh, at a spot just above a crucifix and said, my God, uh, my Lord, I love thee and died. And Pauline wrote later that she had never heard so many beautiful birds uh, that were singing outside, outside the window. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's Incredible. And it's 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 yeah, and, and um, you've portrayed that beautifully because it was just there's a gorgeous sense of peace about it. And, and I'm very yeah. conscious of of your previous books uh, column about dying and, and the afterlife and all that. There was a great sense of peace around that death, even though, as, as Una said, the guard was in agony. I know, yeah, there was. And, you know, some of that was because of her faith and her belief. Um, she believed in God. She was in that, you know, cloister to communicate with God, to pray with God. And she had a great identity with God, a great closeness. And she was almost happy to go to him. You know, the moment that uh, Azuna described when she felt the blood coming up from her chest and she was delighted because, she, uh, in fact, it was Good Friday morning uh, when she saw it. But she said, that means I'll soon be going to God and going to heaven. So this tranquility and peace overcame her. Incredible, it was incredible kind of sad have, but to great. To have that kind of yeah. faith is, is just incredible. Now, it w and it was very soon after her death, wasn't it, that people started to realise there was something very special about this woman and, and miracles started yeah. to be heard about. Absolutely. The first Irish miracle was 1913, January, um, up in Glenties in Donegal. It was a family called the McNeilis. Mary McNeilis had given birth to a baby girl and had contracted purple fever and septicemia. And uh, she, the prognosis was, was dreadful. She was dying. And uh, the family were praying to Therese, but they they said uh, they didn't know if they would if Therese would have enough time to remember poor Donegal. Um, she did. Um, her the, on the, this particular morning, they had a, a four year old girl called Kathleen who came back into the house holding a posy of snowdrops, and uh, they asked her where she had got them from, and she said, "I got them from a nun who came who was all dressed in white, came down from on high." and said, give them to your mother, she will be cured. So they, they dismissed her. She, you know, she was only a little a child, girl. Yeah. yeah, you know, there are no nuns around, no snowdrops. But they, they put them into a vase. And almost immediately, the scent began to pervade the whole house. And Mary McNeilis began to get well. And her doctor uh, subsequently said that her health was better after that event than it had ever been before. 
So it's an amazing story. Yeah. And and yeah. I love you. You write extensively about the miracles during the the First World War, yeah. and of course, the First World War was was fought on the battlefields of, of France. So you could see the connection and why why people went to uh, Therese of of Lisieux. The story column of the doctor who saw the young nun tending yeah. to the dead and the dying on the battlefield yeah. is is one of the well, extraordinary ones. Yeah, she became known as the angel of the trenches and everybody prayed to her, you know, on both sides, which is interesting. People would have the prayer cards to Therese in English and French on the Allied side and the Germans and the Austrians on the other side. But there was this um, uh, doctor uh, there with the Red Cross and after a major battle he went out, lots of these stories by the way came up, but he went out in the battlefield and they were picking up you know, the dead bodies and looking after maybe the people who were just barely alive, the, the critically wounded and um, while he was there they sent back the ambulances and uh, he was looking around and he spotted this woman uh, over kind of towards his left I remember and uh, she looked like a nun and he went across to her he was quite surprised there was a convent not too far away and he wondered was she from there and he went over to her and looked at her and he said she had the most beautiful face the most beautiful serenity and countenance about her and uh, he just said what are you doing and she said I'm looking after the dying and uh, Everybody that he spotted looking around who was dead had a little flower, a little rose in their hands. And he kind of said, OK, never asked a name and walked away. And uh, later on, she just moved off. He went back to the convent. He went back to his own Red Cross headquarters near the convent. And he called in to find out about this nun. And they, had, they were mystified. They didn't know who it was. And the headmistress said, look, we'll check it out. I'll go in. The nuns are working uh, inside in this big room. There was a big table. Uh, they were working, actually, making bandages for the wounded. And um, they went in, and when he walked in, he saw the nuns. And the moment he did so, he looked up on the wall, and he saw this picture, the famous painting, uh, drawn by Celine of her sister, uh, Therese, and he immediately said, That's that her. was her. And that was replicated over and over uh, during World War One. Sightings there, of her. There were 40 sightings in that mode that were not only directly reported, but validated by people like medical doctors, you know, or commanders. Yeah, and, and you, you, you write about, and it's funny because we've got Tommy Fleming coming in after 12 who does that fantastic Christmas song about the Christmas Day truce of 1914. You write about that and you, it was almost like she, she was a part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. If people don't know it, it was the first Christmas Day of the the. The 1914 war, war, the 1918 yeah. war. And spontaneously, the soldiers on both sides decided they were not going to fight. And uh, there's a lovely description in the book. Column actually wrote a lot, uh, wrote that particular story. Maybe you'll take it up because, you know, the, the ins and outs of it. But yeah, but I mean, it was really sad because they met in no man's land. And uh, it was started by the Germans, actually, who said... Singing, uh, wasn't it? They started singing. Yeah. Uh, they, they were singing uh, in their night, trenches, yeah. yeah, Silent Night in German. And uh, but eventually in the morning, uh, in fact, believe it or not, it was a soldier from Cork who was describing this... 
that suddenly he heard uh, in no man's land a German voice saying, hello, English. That was the way he put it. And happy Christmas, English. It actually upsets me when I think of it. Because yeah, they were young men. Oh, they were. And, and they didn't want to oh, be no, there. It was exactly. hopeless. But yeah. suddenly the word went out that there were these Germans coming out towards them. And everybody thought, do we shoot? Do we fire? And somebody shouted, don't fire. It was an officer. And eventually, soldiers went out, including your man from Cork, and uh, they started talking. But they they played a soccer match. The Germans won 3-2. Uh, but the most important thing was they wanted to give each other presents. As you say, young men. But they had nothing. Uh, I mean, they were paid nothing. They had no possessions. All they had were the buttons on their tunics, little insignia, and prayer cards and photos of course of their loved ones and they showed each other you know the girlfriends and the wives and the kids at home and then they thought what do we give somebody and they all had prayed to Therese of Lisieux she was the yeah, they either carried a prayer card or they had a medal and a prayer yeah. card or a medal so yeah. they would take them out as the guy the soldier from Cork said very hard to trade them but he said you had to get something important uh, uh, in return so quite often one in English would be handed over and you'd get one in German back wow. really quite wow. sad wow and there's a lovely story from Bantier bringing up to coming up to more modern times um, Eamon Moynihan and his yeah. devotion to the little flower yeah. this is an, this is another one of these extraordinary coincidences it's, it's intriguing very intriguing um, he had a great devotion has a great devotion to St Therese and we, we're going back now to 1997 and he got a kind of a, a vision but more than a vision uh, to say that he was to hold a prayer meeting on I think it was the 17th of October 1997 the following year he was the following following year. Year. Yeah, years yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. and he didn't know why uh, but he knew it was to do with St. Therese. He organised to get a priest to go and that was fine. Until August of 1997, word came through that she was going to be made a doctor of the church. Now, nobody knew about this at all. It was a complete bombshell to people. Uh, it, she, it meant she was only the third female doctor of the church. Um, but he said that uh, the priest, he found out about it because the priest that he had talked to rang, up, rang him up and said, how did you know? And he said, I know what? And, and no one could have predicted the date. No one no. could have predicted it. No, no. the date or not the fact even that the it was happening. Uh, yeah. Not even the fact that it was happening. It was such a, you know, a closely guarded secret. So on the day, he said, um, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of people came to, to celebrate. And, and to look at the amount that turned out for the relics in, in 2001. I know, it was wasn't it just um, um, unreal. You've been to Lizou yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's magical to go there. I'll never forget it, actually. Maybe partly because we worked on the book together. But for me, I mean, there are so many places there. Her home, the Buissonnet, um There's the Carmel, of course. There's a big basilica. Um, but for me, I'll I, I never forget. We were walking through in the Carmel, in the convent, this kind of public area. And we turned a corner and suddenly... I remember stopping because in front of me there was this big door, a big kind of black, brown, medieval type of door with a lot of iron on it. And I remember looking at it and thinking, what's that? And the more I looked, I mentioned it to Una and she looked as well. There was no handle on it and there was no lock on it. 
It was just locked. And it dawned on me, that, of course, is the cloister door through which you went, out of which you never came. And I always, I remember standing there and thinking of poor old Therese when she was 15. She wrote later on, she said, when I walked through that door at 15, my heart beat fast in my chest. And I can't imagine why. It beat fast in mine and I wasn't going in. But can you imagine it? And lots of people still go to the grave because it's not the original place where she was buried. They've they moved her. They, they moved her. Yeah, they moved yeah. her twice. Yeah. Because of the beatification and so yeah. on. Go ahead Another lovely place to go to is Le Buissonet. That really touched yeah. me. That was the that first was house. Her, her first home. Why, her home after th- her mother died. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's such a feeling of calm and serenity in it. But you can walk around the garden, which was, when we were there was filled with beautiful flowers. And that was where she asked her father for permission to go into the convent. Um and she describes very well how both of them were in tears because they knew that they would never see each other again if he yeah, gave her permission. Yeah. But he did. He gave her a lovely little flower, which she kept for a very long time. And you can just picture them. Yeah, there. It's, it's sitting in the garden. Yeah. Well, listen, it's it's a fantastic book. And uh, I can already see somebody uh, said that they met you on Sunday doing a book signing. Oh, and we you, are absolutely. And, and you, yes. no, no, they met you last Sunday. Yeah. Oh, last Sunday. In Knock. In Knock. And that you had plenty of time for everyone. You, you, well, you were absolutely fantastic. Where are you doing a book signing? We're doing a book signing in Waterstones in Cork in Patrick Street on Saturday between two thirty and four thirty. Thanks for reminding us. <laughs> okay, and then uh, somebody yesterday when I mentioned you were coming on, Tom says Uno Hagen was just smashing. And the and the late late on Friday, even though we turned out it was the Ray Darcy show, but I just thought smashing was such a lovely word. Absolutely. It's a word. It's a word you don't hear uh, that often. <laughs> and someone else says, um, Patricia, hi. I would like to congratulate Una O'Hagan on her book and her husband. And I've no doubt it will be a bestseller. Personally, I think Una is one of the most pleasant ladies I ever met in my interactions with RTE. Hundred percent genuine. Nowhere is a grace. Is just Una. I wish her. Me- Many years of success in her retirement uh, and as a successful uh, writer um, and also to uh, her uh, husband. Um, and a uh, question in for Colm who uh, about the book. Um, as hard as I try to connect with my wife, I find it hard to get a vision of my wife at night while sleeping or praying. This is obviously his wife. Mm. His wife has passed away. Yeah. I have very good faith. But is there some transition um, what can I do to make that connection? I just want to know if she's safe. Oh, wow. Mm. There's a very big question. Yeah. I can say after 10 years of work, she is safe. I am sure of it. And I have another book coming out on this, I think next March. But I am convinced we survive death. I'm convinced that we meet our loved ones again. And I'm convinced that there is a superior being. We could be here till four in the I afternoon. And I know, you, you, it, I know I you have another book coming out, don't you, next year? On, I do, on yeah, the, on this or whatever. We, we, but we, we either look, way, I think... Do you, 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 you think she's OK? She's okay. And I, I, I think he should rest yeah. safe and, yeah. and secure. All right, Jerry, thank you for your call. And Margaret said, I am looking at a picture that I got from an aunt of mine. It's a picture of the little flower, um, St. Ray's, kneeling at the feet of the Pope. She was pleading with him to be allowed <laughs> to enter the convent. It's a lovely uh, a picture. What date would that have happened? When did you uh, that, that was 1887, 1887. would you believe? Yeah, okay. 1887. Yeah. Well, well, listen, it's, it's a lovely... Will you write another book, Una? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
probably, you know, yeah. well, Callum has another one coming out. But um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many ideas, so many things to do and so little time. And a great experience doing it together as yeah. well. It's yeah. terrific. Listen, it's always a pleasure to have you both in the studio. Thank you for that. And uh, Thank thanks for joining us. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Hi, I'm Simon Murdoch. Join me for the all new Cork's More Music Breakfast on C103. I'm kicking off a brand new way to win every morning with Celebrity C's. All you have to do is guess the voices to grab the cash. Turn on C103 and wake up with me. The all new Cork's More Music Breakfast, weekday 6 to 10, only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Our competition association with the Everyman this week. Uh, tickets to the Nightingale and the Rose with complimentary dinner for two at Green's Restaurant. And our tickets today and dinner today is for Sunday the 14th of October because the, the, it runs from Saturday the 13th to Saturday the 20th of October. We're playing an audio clip of a famous rose. It can be fictional or not. And we want to know what is, who is this rose here? today's great now our cold drinks will be sitting directly on the wood now who is that rose call us now please 1850 333 103 caller 10 and caller 11 to get through to john paul now we'll each win a pair of tickets and dinner for two for sunday the 19th of october who is this famous rose great now our cold drinks will be sitting directly on the wood and you can get ticket information at uh, everymancork.com. It's the Nightingale and the Rose. And it has an incredible cast of Irish and international uh, singers, uh, including uh, Cork favourites Kim Sheehan, Magella Culla, Owen Kilhooley and Joe uh, Corbett. And it's one of the most anticipated shows of the year at the Everyman running from the 13th to the 20th of October. Get calling on that one, please. 1850 In the meantime, let me catch up on a number of your calls and texts uh, coming in. Thank you to a number of people commenting on my interview with uh, Colm Keenan and Una O'Hagan and how uh, people really enjoyed it. Uh, so glad that you enjoyed and the book is lovely the book is really lovely and they have very kindly signed actually three copies and left them for us to give them away and we'll we'll give you details of how you can win that uh, a little bit later on but Burling Cork City said Trish did somebody yesterday say that Una O'Hagan and Colm Keane were on uh, Friday's Late Late while well, I watched the whole show and I don't remember seeing them says Burr and no they got it wrong they said she looked smashing though it was Una on her own and she was actually on Ray Darcy she was on the following night uh, on Saturday night instead and other people are looking for Don Dr. Delish Clare's number, who we interviewed yesterday, and could I repeat that? I can. Dr. Delish Clare's number is 091-583260. And to John, who was critical of the fact that I gave more time to Una and Colm about their book than I gave to Dr. Clare uh, yesterday. I'm wondering why was that? I had a time slot yesterday uh, for Dr. Clare. I was very conscious of how busy she is and we literally had a time slot. It was almost like we booked an appointment with her. So we had to have her on at a certain time and I was very conscious that we had to have her off at uh, a certain time. So I think at the end when she said, is that it? 
uh, what she was saying was goodness that went very fast um, that's uh, I think what the reference was to it but listen uh, thank you though John for your text we had a huge reaction to Dr. Deedish Clare uh, yesterday and we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hope that we may be able to persuade her to take time out and uh, talk to us again on the programme because we only got through a fraction of the questions that's why she did say when we explained to her that so many people had questions and queries she said feel free to tell them to uh, contact her, her clinic 091 583260 uh, A Ford key was lost in Bandon R in the Roscarbury area listeners not too sure there's a house key also on the key ring and if you can get any information into us here please at uh, C103 somebody very uh, anxious to get that key back and actually just while we're talking about Ford was there was someone on to us yesterday and they've come back on to us today wondering, did we hear anything? This was the listener who contacted us yesterday who is trying to get a price for a two, for 2019 Ford Focus. And this person has been ringing around the various Ford dealerships trying to get a price on a new Ford Focus and was not able to get a price and was wondering, could we intervene and could we do anything and could we find out why? Now that we're into October and people are planning to buy cars in the new year, but you need to know how much a particular car is going to cost. We didn't hear back from any Ford dealership, but we did hear back from Eugene in Newmarket, who is uh, one of our listeners who's in the know and uh, who's always very informative and always very good about impart- imparting his knowledge. And he says that the, the reason why this listener and others are not getting a price on new cars is because there is a new process for cars built after September the 1st called the WLPT for fuel and emissions. It's causing a hold up in cars at the moment. It's going to impact on pricing as the emissions results slash fuel figures are different for many cars. It also impacts on your vehicle registration tax and is generally quite messy. So if you can get prices from other manufacturers uh, is what Eugene suggests and then go back to the Ford dealership and tell them you're after getting prices from other manufacturers and they might be afraid of losing the sale, that might get a bit of movement going for you, says Eugene. But the problem is that I don't know if any of the dealerships, not just Ford, any of the other cars, they're all in the same pickle because they're all being affected by these this new process for cars after September the 1st. So they're all in the same bind at the moment. So that is delaying us. We will keep a close eye on it. And if any dealership wants to let us know when they expect to have prices out for new cars, this is cars that people want to buy in January 2019. Can you let us know, please? Uh, 1850 I don't know if we've got our winners yet on our competition. But I tell you what we can do. What we're going to do with the books that Colm and Una have kindly left behind their book The Little Flower St. Therese of Lisieux The Irish Connection they have left three signed copies and because the phones have been manic and it's unfair on John Paul we will do this by text okay so um, if you text Little Flower to 0862103103 don't WhatsApp us just text us please 0862103103 with the words Little Flower along with your name and address and then before the close of the programme we will select three winners and we will post you out a copy of the books very kindly left behind by Colin Keane and Una O'Hagan so get texting on that please 0862103103 just put the Little Flower along with your name and address The C103 
Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. A community tourism workshop regarding the Jersey Island cable car will be held today between 4 and uh, 6 in the Lenamore Centre, Garnish and Bear Island. All are welcome. You can have your say on the venture, good and bad. A monster bingo will be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. That's happening at half past eight this evening with proceeds in aid of Chloe Keane from Bantry. Kinsale Men's Shed inviting you to join them as they host Alice Taylor. That's eight o'clock tonight in the Kinsale Temperance Hall. Alice will speak about her life and uh, research involved for her writing. Bingo goes ahead in Chambalimore Community Centre half past eight. The jackpot is €2,900. And something we're hoping to have a chat about tomorrow. It's a new mental health and well being service for communities in West Cork. It's called the Wellbeing Network. It'll be launched at League Community Hall at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Guests include the presidential candidate, Senator Joan Freeman, the Cork County Mayor, Councillor Gerard Patrick Jared Murphy and Rob Heffernan. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now, much love singer and a guy who has a huge amount of fans amongst our listeners is uh, Tommy Fleming, who joins me in studio in advance of some local dates. It's part, part of his Voice of Hope 2. Uh, tour. Good morning to you. Good afternoon. It's after twelve. Good morning. Uh, good yeah. morning. Good morning. Afternoon. Sorry. How are you doing, Patricia? Great I, to see I, you again. I, I'm great to see you. I was on your website yesterday. You. This is a huge tour that's taking you right into next year. Into next year. Yeah. Um. We finished. We put the go back to we say the beginning when somebody approached me and said, "Would you would you do ever do Voice of Hope too?" And Voice of Hope been the first one which we did in Knock in the Basilica. And can you believe that was fifteen years ago? So I had been approached a couple of times at the fifth anniversary and on the 10th anniversary of it, I'd been approached and I said, no, I'm not ready to do it. You know, it was a one off thing. It was very special. Yeah. And I, then I started kind of the mind started playing tricks with me for one thing. And I, I was kind of at a loose end because I was I wasn't busy at the time, which is unusual for me. And I started thinking about putting another show together. And then I thought, do you know, it would be a lovely voice of hope, too. And then we went looking for a venue. And the venue we struck on was the Cathedral in Galway, which is a stunning, stunning venue. And I was down in um, just outside Formoy yesterday doing the edit on the DVD and the CD and watching the set of the Cathedral is just stunning. It's amazing. Now, how does it differ from Voice of Hope 1? I suppose the building for a start. um, I have 15 years under my belt of more experience. I produced this one. I was, what, 33 when I did the first one. And now you're doing the maths. And, 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 you, did, <laughs> and, you, and you didn't produce the first I one. I didn't produce the first so one. So you had somebody telling I, you. There was I had somebody telling me what to do and how to yeah. do it. And I was never comfortable with that. OK. And not that I was being difficult. I just, I, lie, I had my own way of doing something, yeah. you know. And then this time we went in and I had my own team around me. Okay. Um, Alan Byrne directed it, who's the director of The Late Late Show and a very good friend. Um, we had uh, my co-producer with Joe Chibby. So we, we all, I had a great team of friends who I really trusted and knew that could do the job. Um, and then we put, started putting the songs together. And I didn't want to go into doing 25 new songs. 
So I said, let's go halfway with new songs and bring back the older stuff and okay. do a different so arrangement. So that's what you've done. So this, it's it's half and half. It's that's half what I was wondering half. about. Yeah. What was the music? Now, is it true you held auditions for a local choir? I did. Yeah. You know. Now, I'm intrigued by this. I'll tell you, you why. You needed a choir, obviously. I needed a choir, and I thought, there's no point in me getting a Dublin choir or bringing a choir that I know from home when it's in Galway, you know? And I yeah. just thought, well, you know, when you're in in that, when they're in, we say, if you're in, put it in inverted commas, if you're in a village, then you use the people that are in the village. Yeah, yeah. And so I just said, let's get Galway people, get, get people that, you know, that are local, that'll work on this. So... We held auditions. Um, what was it like? The X Factor for choirs? It was not. <laughs> what was it? I, well, it kind of was. There was four of us sitting there listening to them and we just, they came into two or three songs and they were all brilliant. Um, church choirs? Church choirs, community school choir. choirs, yeah. community choirs. Okay. So there was one choir that came in that really stood out for me and who, that they ended up actually getting the job was the Bravo Theatre Group. And okay. they were more theatre orientated than a choir, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I asked them, they were, they were, everyone that had come in was doing choir pieces. So I, when I seen these guys, I thought, these are all now young and they're ready to let loose, basically. So I just said, OK, send me something from one of your favourite shows, be it Les Mis, be it... And I'm a huge theatre man, I love theatre. Yeah. So they sang um, From Now On from The Greatest Showman. Oh. And I thought... Wow, now that's a chancy one to jump at because I was actually I'm doing that song in the show. Oh, did they know that? Uh, they didn't know that. Oh. No. So uh, then I asked them to do a piece from Les Mis and they did that, and I was just blown away by them. And the the the, the sound that they created was amazing, was phenomenal, and it was just do you know for something to it was when we spent weeks, months in preparation for this show, and. When we got to get when we got to Galway to the cathedral and the set was being built and we were there for four or five days prior to the actual filming of it, um, I wasn't nervous once or scared or, um, I suppose apprehensive is the best word, and until the night of it, I suppose that's always the nerves that kick in because mm. of the crowd there, and it was just the amount of people that worked on it were just brilliant to work with and maybe it's me with a, an older head on me and I'm a bit calmer and a bit, bit more mature a bit more mature I suppose and but then you, you, you sold you sold tickets we sold it? tickets for the show and obviously you sold it out sold it out sold Galway Cathedral so it ran as a normal show that night except it was being filmed except it was being filmed because when we did the first one they stopped and started after every song Okay. So the people were sitting in the Basilica knock for nearly four hours. Oh, I did and, not know and the, that. And the electricity had gone. I knew the electricity, electricity had, had gone. gone and it was that. minus five outside. So I, I swore that that was never going to happen again. So I, and I've, ever since that night, you're going to laugh at this, ever since that night, there was a lot of people going around with clipboards. And ever since that night, I've had an aversion to somebody coming around me with a, clip, a clipboard looking busy so if I see a clipboard clipboard coming near me just put it down Just yeah, you don't need yeah. a clipboard if okay. you can't do your job just without a clipboard because somebody it. said please ask Tommy about the power failures that failed to stop his wonderful Knock Shrine concert oh, thank it's you. enjoyable to watch on <laughs> TV says Sandy and lots of people are saying when are we going to see the, the new it's, uh, it's new going to be broadcast on it's sometime in November um, with Virgin Media, so on former TV3. Yeah. Um, so they're they're going to be broadcasting it. Um, it's released on the 26th of October. On DVD. On DVD and CD. So you can buy it before it'll make... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'll okay. be, now, you'll only, what you'll see on TV is about 52 minutes of it. Okay. Whereas we have two hour, two and a half hours and there's backstage stuff. There's uh, What I let the cameras do was um, 
let them take everything. Even when I was having a, a, a hissy fit about something. And were you? I had a few, yeah. Did of course you? I did, yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, and Tina calming me down and different things. But I always believed that the audience loved to see a behind the scenes thing and see you really kind of working. And, you know, even in the hotel when we we're planning stuff out, um, there's a few beeps that's going to be in it. I should look at your own human at the end of the day. I know, yeah. And somebody was just kind of not playing ball with me and You let rip? I let rip this. <laughs> so did you did you almost forget the cameras were on you then? I never forget when they're there, to be honest. But okay. it's that's the I suppose the actor comes out of me then. It's I know which way we're working. Um and you know, uh, I, instead of bringing a load of guests on this one, um I brought a, a friend of mine in from Sydney, um, by the name of Mark Vincent, who won the third season of Australia's Got Talent in 2009 okay. and he's a tenor and, and one of the most amazing voices I've ever heard. Um, so you flew him in? I flew him in from Sydney and okay. everyone was like you're bringing somebody in from Sydney for this winter? Yeah, yeah. trust me it'll work and it and did. It did. Yeah. Um, every every song he did on the night he got a standing ovation for it. So it was it was very magical. It was a lovely a lovely lovely experience I have to say. And, I, and you're chuffed with and there's a CD to go with There's a well. CD that's coming out on the 26th of um, October um, and a DVD, so it's the it's the full package. And you back this all up with this tour that you with doing. this tour, yeah. Hence the reason I'm in today. Um, I'm actually the the first show we're doing uh, in Cork is on the 13th of October, which is in the North Cathedral in Cork. I think that's St Mary's, isn't yeah, it? St Mary, St Mary's. Yeah, or some others call it St Anne's. It's St Mary's and St Anne's, but North Cathedral. North Cathedral in Cork, yeah. And um, that's kind of the first church we're going to be doing in Cork. Um, okay. Now we're doing a lot of stuff actually around Cork. Over the next uh, over the next few months, um, we're doing Charleville Park, which is on December the first. That's part second. of the same, or is it the second? Sorry, oh, I have it down. Oh, I have it down here as, as the second. I have it down as the first. So we will. We'll, we'll, we'll check it'll out. It'll be one of the two. So anyway, <laughs> um, and then on the in Dunmanway Church on December the fourteenth, and the, up, up back to the Opera House for our two night stint, which is always February the eighth and ninth. It's all yeah. It's always on Valentine's. Yeah, it's always on Valentine's. Yeah, it's the eighth yeah. and ninth, and then for for others because we have a lot of listeners in in Kerry and. A lot of people travel to the INEC. You're there on the first of March. On the first yeah, of March. March, that's the third last show. And then the second of March, you're in Limerick. In Limerick, we yeah. Listeners in, in and then in we Limerick. close the Irish tour on the third of March in Dublin in the Borth Gosh. But the first, I suppose, the kind of the first jump into this is next. Not next week. It's two weeks' time, isn't it? Yeah. Two weeks' time to, uh, on the uh, October the thirteenth. My lucky so are you not going to Australia then? I uh, am. And I was supposed to go in May. May oh, but right. we were kind of jumping. Uh, you, I, you had a 25th anniversary tour, didn't you as well? I Well, I'm, it's, uh, that was a good while ago because I'm, 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 I'm coming into my 28th year oh now. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I actually thought that was earlier this year. Yeah, yeah and we're going to Australia in... Um, in, well, Tina and I are going over in mid-September, maybe early September, and then we don't tour until, until November. So we kind of, I spend a lot of time over there. Spend yeah, a, yeah. I love it over there. I, it's, I just love it. Okay, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's special to me. Okay, but, the, but you're looking forward to, to touring. And interesting that you're going to, um, you're going to Charleville, to the Charleville Park Hotel. I'm assuming Anne Hurley, he will, you'll hook up with Anne. Anne, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you know, it was funny because I was only thinking her this morning when I was in the gym. Um, I, we stay, I always stay in the Hibernian, so I have to give them a shout there in Mallow and uh, I was in the gym this morning and uh, oh, for <laughs> and God's he, sake and Harley he, I don't believe it she's after walking <laughs> <in>. <laughs> uh, he's, ju- he's just about he's just come here love he's just and, and he's oh just about God. to tell the story how come he was here, in the down, so down there the microphone's on he was just telling the story how he was in the high B in the gym and he thought about and you something um, I was listening to music yeah. and uh, Joni uh, Joan, Joni Joni Mitchell's 
both sides now came yeah. on my iPod, on my, on my iPhone and headphones. Yeah. And you were the first person I thought of. And I said, I must drop Anne a line and say hello because I haven't <laughs> spoke to her in ages. Well, there so you are. So there you go. You're yeah. looking mighty. Move, it, move yeah. into the microphone yeah. there. Um, and um, because we are always getting calls in from people saying, how's Anne Hurley doing? What's the update on Anne? How is she doing? How is she doing? Um, a highlight will always be singing with Tommy. Oh, won't the best highlight ever and I mean <laughs> from Jesus. all my family and we were down in the park hotel in Charleville in July having lunch and my granddaughter said Tommy Fleming's playing here the 2nd of December <laughs> Nan can I go in bought the tickets oh you didn't buy them I ah did. for God's sake that's bought silly bought the tickets straight away and, so. and Anne can you tell us is it the 1st or the 2nd of December second. it's the 2nd <laughs> Tina you sent the wrong email to me. I, had, I had the 2nd and he said it's the 1st I'm no, sure it's the 2nd second. 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 it's uh, on a Sunday you're looking night. absolutely mighty I'm not Jesus. doing and how you're keeping okay how are you doing not doing too bad now yeah. you know still the surgery went alright but there was more malignancy Found which they can't do anything about at the moment. Yeah, but it's okay. You're hanging in there. You're hanging in there, and you're and you're fighting fit, and and you're going to go along to the Charleville Park Hotel, and you'll have Tommy singing to you. Oh, as long what, what more oh, would you? You have to come up and do my, both sides. My, my <laughs> granddaughter wants uh-huh. him to sing "Isle of Hope." Oh, Isle that's going to be yeah. there, all right. I, I have a four-year-old grandson that goes into the car, and we can't take him anywhere unless we put on. Up she rises from Peggy. Hey, ho, up she rises. Oh, for God's sake. And PJ would listen to Tommy singing Three Blind Mice. <laughs> she loves the band Three, the band three Girls, girls Lament. Lament. And, uh, that used to be my father's favourite song, God rest him. Yeah. They say uh, you want oh, diamonds on a ring of gold. gold. Yeah. That one. All I want is you. And I love... Um, be all you can be. Oh, it's a beautiful one. song. Oh, yeah, that yeah. is so yeah. That was written by a great, very good friend of mine, Paul McDonald, and uh, two good friends, Dave Malloy. And when they sent me that song, I had that song since 2014. And every time we came to recording it, I could It was I was too late getting it, or it didn't work for an album. And we finally did it on the 25th anniversary album, and we did it live in the Voice of Hope Two show. And it's it's the first time we did it with a full orchestra. So it was the arrangement of it was just stunning. And it was the first time I've ever actually cried singing a song. It is is a fab song. And the video that you have. He's a brilliant actor. Yeah, he is. I I mean, I went to see a, a film the other day. And I said Tommy Fleming would win, beat it hands down yeah. because the film was the movie. We yeah, that last video P thing you did was, was incredible. We yeah. did. That was put together with a friend of mine, Shane Loftus. That was, made was an me actor. cry, actually, yeah. when I saw and, that. And every time I, I said, well, I have to be killed at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I said we have to do it I you need to get the, shot but you love the acting I love acting yeah, yeah. yeah I love do. I love yeah. what I love about it is you get especially stage acting um, and theatre acting is you go on and you can be somebody else for two and a half hours or mm. two hours or whatever it may be and I suppose musical theatre is kind of a love that I've always had that was always kind of parallel to what I did um, and then all of a sudden the two for want of a better word the two disciplines met when I was doing, when I went in to do different shows, Paddy been one of them, mm-hmm. and um, you know worked with Les Mis in London and different things, and I even did bring him home on the uh, the new one on the new show, and I love when I just love being able to kind of jump into that world every now and again and 
forget about me for a while and be somebody else. Yeah, there's, there's something special. Well, your you're acting, you're, your acting is yeah, he's yeah, your acting. Yeah, she is, came to see yeah, Paddy in yeah. the opera house, didn't oh, you? You did, Paddy yeah. It's brilliant. it's as good yeah. as you're singing. We are looking forward to the new DVD um, and the CD, and particularly looking forward to the tour. The very best of luck to you, Tommy. Uh, and you'll have buck, to come to the, the, the you'll have to come to the church uh, on the thirteenth to the North Cathedral. Would you come to the North Cathedral? Are you free? Yeah, of course it is in Cork. Are you free on the thirteenth? Which is which is the week after the thirteenth of October. Of October, free on the thirteenth of October. Two weeks time. Wait. Two weeks time. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure, give me a call, and yeah. we'll yeah, give me a call. Let right. me know. And is it your birthday today? Yeah. Oh my ah, God! Somebody said it's your birthday. <laughs> happy birthday to you, and listen. And that was a surprise. We didn't know that either. Ah, listen, God, I didn't know that thanks myself. Thanks to you both for okay. uh, for joining. Pleasure as always. Right. God bless. Thanks. Thank you. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow, it's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C one hundred three. Um, what a busy show we're having today. Thanks to Tommy Fleming and to the wonderful, wonderful Anne Hurley for popping in and surprising Tommy and Tommy. Absolutely thrilled. Uh, to see her. Congratulations to our winners for the Everyman winning the tickets uh, along with dinner for two at Green's Restaurant and tickets to go to see the Nightingale on the Rose and the tickets for today are for Sunday the 14th of October. Colette Connolly of Summer Grove in Kinsale. Congratulations Colette and Ken O'Donovan in Frankfield have both won pair of tickets and a dinner for two. Enjoy uh, folks and you can get more ticket information at everymancork.com and it was Rose and bar. Great, now our cold drinks will be sitting directly on the wood. Who is no more part of the TV show um, after everything that happened uh, this year. We'll have another rose for you tomorrow and two more tickets to give away tomorrow. We're giving away tickets to the show on Tuesday, the 16th of October. And I will leave. You can stop texting us because I can see the text message machine is going to blow up on people looking for tickets to the Little Flower. I'll get John Paul to select three winners because we have three of those books to give away that Colm and Una very kindly signed as well. So they're signed copies of the book. Okay, so we will pick our winners on that. But I need to go to uh, Joe Heffernan, who joins me um, on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And it's procrastination is what we're talking about uh, today. Mm. Uh, Putting off tomorrow what you can do today, and we're all guilty of it in a way. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that fair enough to say? It's fair, absolutely, totally fair enough to say. Um, I'd be pleading guilty anyway. Why do you think we do it? I suppose um, maybe mm, fear of failure. Um, will I do it? Won't I do it? On account of um, mm, I mightn't succeed. So maybe kind of a fear of failure. Uh, perfectionism. Do you know? If I do it, I'll have to do it all. And I'll have to do it right. Um, uh, you know, it will have to be perfect when I have it done. As against having a go, um, uh, and and why is it bad for us? Why, what well, harm do we do by by procrastinating too much? Well, I'll put it this way to you now, Patricia. If you looked at my desk, you'd know why it was bad for us. <laughs> <laughs> because um, everything piles gets piled up and down. Mary used to refer to the heaps. Um, no, it used to be two heaps, three heaps. What let's see. Four heaps. Um, we're gone to five or six anyway. And what's in the heaps? D- d- I'm the devil's own work. That um, if I see a thing in a newspaper or anything, I think, oh, that's interesting. No, that might be handy for someone, and um, I <laughs> I cut it out. Yeah. And uh, that's one heap. 
Um, right. Uh, another heap would be, um, uh, for example, um, there's a heap for ADHD that we covered recently that should go back in its rightful place in the filing cabinet. Um, there's, a, there's a heap uh, for SAD, which we did recently, yeah. which should go back in its proper place. And of course, the problem is, if you don't... Uh, uh, at the time or shortly after, put it back in the proper place. When you then need to locate that, you're not able to find it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say that um, in my own case, like um, if a thing is needed for a particular session, I, I'll have that on the ball and ready and that's grand. But um, for example, no. I mean, a good example of a little start would be... Um, this morning, uh, just the the reason I had them on the top of my head, the the notes and the research stuff about SAD is now gone back into its proper place well in the done. filing cabinet. Um, the stuff about ADHD is now gone back into its proper place. Um, we did a little section at the start of the school year on dyslexia. That's now gone back into its proper place. So, no. There was a time with me, you see, that all four heaps would have to be done. But now I'm learning a little at a time. Just do a bit. And there's a certain satisfaction in in getting some of it done. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be some. And, uh, you know, and I try to take the guilt out of it. Like, I should get those put back properly. Uh, can be, I could get one or two of those put back properly. And um, having said that, then, I I actually put a couple of things back in the filing cabinet, which is grand. And um, uh, even as I'm talking to you now, I'm coming to the conclusion that if I did that much every day, in a a fairly reasonable time, no big deal, no deadline, um, it would all get done. And there's a great sense of achievement then when you do get it all done. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be wonderful. Um, uh, if we were making New Year's resolutions, now it would be clear the desk. Um, yeah. Well, clutter. I mean, clutter. Cl- clutter is very bad for us. Well, this is the thing. Um, that, I mean, uh, you know, uh, when you think about it... Um, we wait to feel motivated to do a thing. But actually, we're putting the cat before the horse there because if you do the thing, you'll feel better. But if you were waiting to feel like doing the thing, you, 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 that mightn't come at all. So it's a case of like, um, do it first and the motivation or the, the good feeling will come afterwards. Um, and uh, you mightn't be in the right mood to do a thing, but if you waited for the right mood, you you could be waiting an awful long time. Whereas if you actually start and do a little bit, well then, um, your mood will definitely improve. I mean, um, I, I can say that about myself now, this very day, is that God knows now the effort wasn't a big one, 
it was a couple of things being being put back where they should be. But I feel better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like if you if there's something that you have to do that you really don't want to do, the advice always is 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 to do it first thing in the morning and get it out of the way rather than thinking about it all day. I remember hearing an interview with uh, Richard Branson, and uh, he was saying, you know, one of the worst things as a businessman that he has to do is you know end somebody's contract or leave somebody leave somebody go, and it's a job as a businessman he always hated doing. So he said if he knew he had to leave somebody go for whatever reason he would do it he would pencil it into the diary for first thing in the morning rather than he said have to worry about it and think about it all day long yeah and I was I was relaying that story only in the summer to a very successful businessman and he said that his one is his piece of advice is if you have to eat a frog eat it first thing in the morning and if you have to eat two eat the biggest one first and just get all the bad stuff out of the way first thing yeah and it's kind of the same thing here yeah and like that quote now, uh, that thought was is from a book that I would recommend called Eat That Frog. It's by a fellow called Brian Tracy. It's um, uh, Catalyst Books, uh, the the publishers. And and that's the thing, um, you know, eat the... Eat the... Uh, you have to eat the, a frog. The uh, yeah, yeah, and if, yeah, if it's yeah. two, eat the biggest one first, yeah. 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 Get, 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 get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, so, but in order to help clear, you know, to help with mental health, clearing the your clearing clutter out of your life, be it as in your case, it's it's on on your desk, but it can be in a bedroom, it can be in a kitchen, uh, it can be um, anywhere. It actually it's actually good for your mental health. Well, it is because you see, every time you look at it, every single time that you look at it, there's a, a bad or a sinking feeling in the tummy. You you know the one I mean. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know it would be better if that wasn't there. Now I'm I'll, I'll have to graduate um, myself, like from the desk uh, to the dining room table, uh, which is um, you you can't see any table. Because the entire table oh, is covered no. with um, document folders, uh, bits of this, bits of that, bits of the other thing. And, um, uh, yeah, it's a bit depressing every time one looks at it. So it would be a blessing. It would be a relief to actually do the blooming thing. Um, other things like that we could um, do to... We, we look at three areas like ment- mental health... Uh, spiritual help and physical help. Like, um, when we talk about the mental help, yeah, clearing out clutter, um, maybe make a decision to do a little bit of mindfulness each day. Maybe a decision to join a yoga uh, class. Um, that kind of thing. Um, and and if we've been thinking about it, like, for about three years, um I'd like to do a bit of yoga. I'd like to join a yoga class. Maybe it's time to just pick up the phone, make the phone call, or look it up online, or call. And uh, and 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 as the as the Nike ad used to say, just, just do, do it. it. Yeah, just uh, yeah. Uh, do it. I mean, for spiritual help, um, you're suggesting making contact with somebody, phone someone, write to someone. Likely, something like that. Um, or even privately to wish someone well, especially someone that we might have a little bit of a resentment against. Um, 
to actually uh, try to be as genuine in our hearts as we can be and to say, I wish that person well today. Now, that could be um, if it wasn't going to make, if it was um, a reasonably uh, sane thing to do, to maybe make a phone call, write a letter, send a text, say something nice, something like that. Another way of um, of uh, improving our spiritual help, uh, health um, would be um, a, a gratitude list. Count our blessings. Yeah, this is, I, I, I love this, um, and you hear people having a gratitude journal, but I even think, and, and I try and do it, I try and go through phases where I'll always do it. Now that I've mentioned it today, I'll go back and do it today. Uh, as, you're, as you're going off to sleep at night, just to think of three things during the day that you're grateful for. You know, I mean, it might be the silliest of things like, you know, you went for a walk and the sun was shining. It might have been a nice meal that you had. It might have been a phone call from a friend. It doesn't have to be, no, it can be big ones. You might have won some money or something wonderful might have happened to you. You might have got a present or something. But it can be the small things as well. It's just gratitude. What, what, yeah. what are you grateful for in your day? Yeah, and in the situation that you described there, the fact that one is in a bed, yeah. the fact that there's yeah. a roof over the bed, because Especially when we today, see this awful coverage of, for example, Indonesia at the moment, um, you know, we take all that for granted. Whereas, I mean, and, and in Syria, um, wh- when you see houses reduced to rubble, um, when you see people digging in debris um, for, to try and find maybe a survivor, um, when you see uh, bulldozers um, making a mass grave, um, to get uh, rid of the, the people who have passed away. It's very, very, very easy uh, and, to be grateful. And also, bring it closer to home, uh, Joe, when you hear about people, uh, homeless people, uh, people living in hotel accommodation, I, I still can't get that woman who went into labour in a hotel room, a homeless woman, and she turned up at the hospital in Dublin with, with her twins dead. They, they, yes. they were stillborn. Yes. And they, they got on a bus and, and she had to go to the hospital. Isn't I just, it absolutely I mean, and that, you know, that's the Ireland of 2018. So, I mean, yes. if you do have a warm bed and a roof over your head tonight, be thankful and be, yeah. be, be very I, grateful. I went to, we went to see that film recently now and we thought it was a wonderful film. was Black 47. Oh, God, that's on my to-do list. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there you are. Um, don't procrastinate. <laughs> is, it, is, is it tough going? Is it, is it tough to watch? Well, it's a kind of a cross between a thriller and a historical uh, depiction of the time. But it's extremely well done. But, um, you know, you'd wonder how far have we come. I mean, you had the big landlords, you had the the, the sheriff or the equivalent um, evicting people from their homes. Not exactly a tale that doesn't have a resonance with yeah. 2018. I'm sorry, just uh, Black 47 is about, obviously, the famine. Yeah. 47, it's, yeah. it's uh, about what happened in, in Ireland during the famine. And yeah. it's, in, it's, in the, it's in the cinemas uh, at the moment. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, physical health. You go for a walk. Well, the physical health would be um, uh, go for a, a little walk. Um, uh, we've got better at that um, here. Um, we, we, we're not going for marathons. Um, it might be um, quite a short little walk. But, you know, um, the day it doesn't happen, you kind of feel, mm, uh, that 
sure, I know we try to avoid the shoulds, but let's face it, you'll be saying that should have happened, but it didn't. Um, uh, I think that both of us can be proud of. Um, we, we, we gave up the, uh, the, the cigarettes. Um, uh, that can be a move that is um, very, very good for the physical health. And uh, talking about the cro- procrastination, um, you know, um, 1985, um, s- uh, November, uh, I said to Mary, I'm giving these up on the 1st of January 2019. And she casually said, why don't you give them up now? And, you know, you I did. don't know what clicked with me, but I did. And I never had a cigarette since. Because I know they do say for some people that you, it, it is a good idea to set a date, a name to the date. That works. Yeah. Because it, it's it's different for everybody. It's, well, it's I had set several dates, you see. Oh, had you? All right. So that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that is something you could do for yourself. And yeah. then you, you want people to, your plan for today is just for today. Everything should be just for today. Just for today. Um, how Like, what little thing can I do to start something? Um, that, that that could be um, uh, a phone call. It could be a text. And when we think about it right now, right this very moment, about um, is there a text that I need to send? Is there a phone call that I intended to make? Why not make it? Why not do it? And um, and again, the, the, the good old feeling uh, follows it. Um, because at the end of every day, what we are really is what we did. Um, we can be thinking stuff and we can be feeling stuff, but um, who we are at the end of each day is what we did that day. So, um, uh, you know, and you, you have this smart model of um, goal setting. Which is which is where we're going to leave it because it's where we're going to pick up and do it next week. We could do we're that going to do a smart uh, model of goal setting. Okay. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks and for joining us. And to everyone. And, uh, and enjoy because it's beautiful weather. Ideal to get out and for, if you can get out for a walk. Joe Heffernan Summers 029-76617 and we'll talk to Joe again next week. Congratulations to the winners of our books by uh, Colm and Una uh, Marie uh, sorry Norma Hurley in Bandon Mary Fitzgerald in Montanotti and Garode O'Shea in Rathmorgan in Charleville uh, they've all won a copy of St Therese's book The Irish uh, Connection by Una O'Hagan and Colm Keane and we will get them in the post to you congratulations to you and thanks to Linda Linda Barrage I think it is uh, wanted to say hello to Tommy I did pass on your good wishes uh, to Tommy uh, Linda and once again thanks to Tommy Fleming and Dan Hurley for popping into studio uh, today and also to Una O'Hagan and to uh, Colm Keane we had a busy busy programme and thanks to John Paul he put a lot of work into the programme uh, today he was running around around the place. Okay that's where we have to wrap it up for today before we go a reminder that we will have more of those tickets to give away tomorrow on the programme. It is the Nightingale and the Rose it is a spectacular night of operatic enchantment. Doesn't that sound wonderful? At the Everyman, it runs from Saturday the 13th to 
Saturday the 20th of October and we're giving away a pair of tickets along with dinner for two at Green's Restaurant and we'll do it all over again tomorrow on another famous rose. So make sure you're tuned our way. That'll be from uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon and I look forward to your company tomorrow. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.